Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. My name is Avid Kahl, and I'll be talking about how you can start, run, and sell a bootstrap business without burning out. As this is the first episode of this podcast, and I've uh, never done anything like this before, let me set some expectations and then tell you my story. First off, this podcast goes along with the Bootstrap Founder blog and the newsletter that I run on this blog. And I'll be releasing episodes on a weekly basis, pretty much talking about um, the things I'm writing, the things I'm talking about in the newsletter, and just all kinds of things that I find interesting in my day-to-day experience on Twitter or other kind of bootstrap founder communities. So I'll be releasing weekly episodes, and I'm mostly going to be the content that I write about and just things that I find interesting. Maybe for the people who are not uh, aware of what I've been doing over the last couple of years and what I'm doing right now, let me just tell you the story behind myself, behind my SaaS Feedback Panda that I sold last year and my blog, The Bootstrap Founder. So quick things about myself. I'm a software engineer turned entrepreneur turned writer pretty much. I've been uh, programming since I was a kid, since I guess like eighth or ninth grade. Uh, Went to university for computer science, completely failed that. Went to university for philosophy and political science, failed that as well. Had a couple jobs in uh, the software industry, building things for venture-backed companies, building things for regular bootstrapped German, I guess, businesses and had a couple of startups that I started with friends and just acquaintances that either failed horribly or actually did fairly well, but had to be pivoted at some point. I guess during both my writing and uh, these episodes of the podcast, I'll be talking about this quite substantially, all these kind of experiences that I had uh, that didn't work out because there's a lot of interesting information in there and interesting things that you can learn, particularly from these kind of examples. But the biggest thing that I've been talking uh, talking about recently is Feedback Panda, which is a SaaS business that I co-founded with my business and life partner, Danielle Simpson. She and I founded this software as a service company back in 2017 as a consequence of needing the product ourselves, I guess. Um, We built it and grew it for two years, just shy of two years when we sold it to SureSwift Capital, a private equity company in uh, the the middle of last year of 2019. So we built it up from essentially zero, like bootstrapping it completely, to $55,000 of monthly recurring revenue without ever hiring an employee, which I'll be talking about as well. It's a blessing and a curse. And uh, yeah, there's a lot to say about that. But we we had a fairly small, fairly automated and well-documented company that was really easy to sell. And in my writing and in my consulting that I've been doing, I usually encourage that, and we'll be looking into this too in uh, one of the future episodes, the whole automation and documentation things. But for now, let me just tell you the story of Feedback Panda and how it came to be. Initially, 
I was a regular software engineer employed at a German company. We were building IoT products, essentially a platform to have IoT sensors communicate efficiently over long range using certain kind of radio technology, which was really cool. That was an extremely interesting project, and I was happy to be a gainfully employed software engineer. Um, Danielle, at the same time, was... uh, pretty much working from home. She's a trained opera singer and we both live here in Germany, in Berlin. And she was trying to find gigs, trying to find auditions and just like getting her singing career going. And uh, everybody who's ever been working in the arts understands that uh, it's kind of hard to get something that can pay for your bills immediately. So it takes a long time to get there. So what most artists do is to find a second job, right? And that second job for her was teaching English because she's a Canadian and she can teach English uh, with lots of companies that offer this kind of service to people from other countries. And she found a service uh, that was run by a Chinese company trying to get native English speakers to teach Chinese children over the internet. So essentially it was uh, English as a second language teaching online through the internet, through web-based platforms. And she was doing this from home for a couple of months and she was really getting a lot of work done. She sometimes taught for 10 hours a day, sometimes 12 hours a day. And one of the problems with this kind of job was that most teachers really like teaching, so they can teach for quite long times, but there's a lot of stuff extra stuff you need to do like lots of tedious paperwork like uh, things that you need to do to actually get paid so which is essentially in this case student feedback you have to write a piece of text that you then send paste into the web platform that you use as a teacher and that kind of text is then sent to the parent chinese parent who wants to know what their kid did today what they are struggling with all these kind of things and as you teach 25-minute lessons, if you teach for 10 hours a day, there's like 20 lessons that you had. So that's 20 pieces of feedback you need to write. And you want to be accurate. You want to be helpful as a teacher because that's what you do. You empower children. So you want to give them as much information as you can on what they should be learning, what they should be trying to exercise more, where they're good, where they're bad, where their parents can help, where they should just let the kid be, like all these kind of things. So you need to take copious notes, you need to write this kind of stuff. And if you teach 25 minutes and have a five minute break in between lessons, you don't really get to do that. And Danielle figured that out for herself, that she not only wanted to take copious notes and do really, really good student feedback, she had to essentially build her own system to keep these notes uh, in a manageable kind of fashion. So she figured out there was a problem with her life because she would spend two extra hours a day after teaching for 10 hours to just do feedback, which is incidentally not too much fun if you like being a teacher, but if the company only pays you, if you submit your feedback within 12 hours after teaching, it is something you cannot avoid. And it didn't take us long to understand that this was a problem that everybody had. Like every single online teacher had to submit this kind of uh, student feedback. And it was all surprisingly similar because the curriculum that people had was essentially the same, right? You would teach the same kind of lessons. Like first couple of lessons about like the color red, you teach a lesson and you teach a lesson to every single kid that comes your way. So as a teacher, you always teach the same, but for each kid, um, every lesson only appears once. 
So what most teachers figured out, building their own system, was that they could just use a template, replace the names, add a bit of like more unique kind of custom information about what actually happened. But if you always teach the same stuff, you can essentially prepare most of the information about what you taught in the lesson. So uh, Danielle and I quickly figured out that building a templating system for her would make it so much easier than having all these Word files, all these Word documents and, and Excel sheets lying around trying to get some sort of order in her notes. And that's pretty much what I built. I built a prototype for her so she could save a lot of time doing her student feedback. And then we figured out other teachers would like that too. Did some customer research, talked to people, and at some point just offered the service as a software as a service solution where teachers could log in and organize the templates and just speed up the day. So much so that two hours of extra work would turn into what boiled down to five minutes or 10 minutes altogether, which is a large time saver. And once the community understood, the teacher community understood that this tool was saving them so much time, all the marketing that we could have done ourselves was essentially done by them. Oh, there was so much word of mouth kind of marketing happening. People were referring each other even before we had a referral system. Growth was immediate. We were cash flow positive, I think two or three weeks into the, running the business, actually starting the business. Um, as a software engineer, I've been building these kind of things before. So when I built it for Danielle, I also integrated Stripe and I integrated Auth0 for authentication and all these kind of services. So it was clear to me that this could be a SaaS business. So I built it like one from the beginning, even though it was just a prototype for her. But we kind of knew this might have a future. So the yeah, it just grew from there. Within a year, we were at 20K. It's pretty linear growth. And we went to 55K two years later. When we then were approached by SureSwift Capital, by, by Kevin, and uh, emailed back and forth and had a really nice number of conversations. And we then turned out to sell the company uh, to SureSwift, which was also fun and a, a very interesting experience, um, which I will definitely write about. I've already written about parts of it on the blog and I'll continue speaking about it and continue writing about it because that exit is also quite the challenge if you don't prepare for it. Uh, we were lucky enough to be prepared because uh, just even before we started the company, I've been looking into a lot of literature and a lot of blogs and podcasts uh, about how to run a successful bootstrap business because it's always been interesting to me. Not necessarily because I wanted to build one at that point because um, I never really had that aspiration even though I've been building a couple companies with friends before, but um, bootstrapping was never really on the menu for us. We always tried to find funding at some point. But once I figured out that this is a viable option, I just started doing what I always do when I'm interested in something, which is reading a lot about it and listening to every single piece of audio, watching every kind of video that I can uh, put my hands on, which I did. And in preparation for this, figured out that building a sellable company is a virtue in of itself. Don't need to necessarily want to sell it. And we never really wanted to sell uh, Feedback Panda from the beginning. We just wanted to build it. We needed a tool for Danielle. And then when we figured out it was a good business, we just wanted to keep running the business, um, never really wanting to sell. But when people came to us offering us um, an exit, we were ready to do it. And 
the actual exit itself, like the handover and the due diligence and the transition phase later was not too complicated. It was actually quite easy because we had a couple of precautions that we took in running the business to make it sellable and everything kind of fell into place at that point. So that's going to be a large part of what I'll be speaking about in the future of this podcast and my content in general. Um, Feedback pandas, rapid growth, the marketing we've been doing, the kind of structure we put into the business, um, all these kind of things are going to be part of this. Myself, I started as a software engineer back in 2003 not really knowing that I'm ever going to be an entrepreneur. So that was, it's, it's not in my family. It's, it was not in my, my peer group when I grew up as a kid. So entrepreneurial kind of aspiration was something that was pretty alien to me. So I always thought, well, yeah, going to find a job, going to do the thing you like, which throughout all of my life was essentially programming, and then just get paid for it. And that's it. So that's how I started, right? I studied computer science and went to like a web agency back back then. I think you can still call them web design agencies. That was the big thing. And built like PHP systems, typo three extensions, that kind of fairly boring stuff as my first job. Kind of didn't like it too much. So after a few years, I stopped all of this. And like I said, went to study philosophy and political science, which was the most opposite thing I could imagine from computer science. And it was lots of fun because in a way you see like the dynamics between people, the dynamics between systems. It's not too alien from the dynamics between components and systems in IT. It's just that it's much more unpredictable. And you have to think like from a statistical kind of uh, perspective more than from yeah, black and white kind of binary logic. So that was really nice. Understanding that and learning things about that was really cool. Uh, from there, I someday got a Twitter message, funny enough, um, because I was always building little projects on GitHub on the side. And uh, I got a tweet from a CEO of a VC-funded Silicon Valley startup who had checked out my GitHub profile and seen that the technology that they've been using for their product was the same that I've been using for one of my like pet projects that I had there. Got a message if I needed a gig, which I found an interesting message you get on Twitter. Usually recruiters or people who want to give you a job uh, reach out to you in different means. But got a tweet, and uh, a couple weeks later I was working for them, which was great. It was a, a wonderful experience to be part of a project of that size and magnitude. Um, a couple of years later. Uh, in Dresden, where I lived at that at that time, I uh, kind of suffered from burnout from that kind of job because it was quite intense. Like once you're in this kind of system of Silicon Valley startup dynamics, it turns out to be a six, seven day a week job. Even if you're not working a couple of days, your brain is always in it and you're always hanging out or communicating with the people in the business because it's starting to absorb most of your life. So with burnout, I was sitting at home. Um, a friend reached out to me and we founded a company, um, a software business that failed horribly because we never did any marketing. I guess I'll be talking about that at some point as well in a, I guess a podcast on the bad examples of my life. Another friend reached out to me just a couple months later. Um, then I moved to Berlin because he wanted to build a business around local food here in the city. Berlin, 
um, a city full of hipsters and people, foodies, I guess, that are really interested in carefully consuming things instead of just consuming whatever they can find. So we build a system to help the farmers around the city sell their stuff into Berlin and people from Berlin finding good local food from the surrounding areas. Turned out we, we built a marketplace with all the problems a marketplace had. And we also forgot to put in a payment system, which is kind of stupid, but that just shows how little we knew about uh, what we really needed to be successful with the project. Um, didn't really work out. Um, the company has since pivoted to another business model, still in business, but I'm out of it. And after that, I started having the real job that I talked about in the IoT system. So that kind of just shows you what kind of crooked career path can lead to a highly successful outcome, selling a company for what I would refer to as a life-changing amount of money comes from essentially doing all these other things during my lifetime. And I feel quite happy with it, right? Obviously uh, getting to this point where people are listening to my opinions on bootstrapping because I actually have done it is a uh, is quite the feeling of gratitude that I can only describe as such. It's great. It's perfect. Um, and I'm happy to talk about these things today and in the future. Um, I think this should conclude the first episode of uh, this podcast that I intend to do for quite a long time. I write a blog post every week to hold myself accountable, to continue writing, to turn this into a habit. I write a newsletter every week so that I write a blog post every week. So there's a lot of layers of accountability that I find um, helps me because I'm uh, naturally quite the lazy person. I think most developers are like this, to be quite honest, because as a developer, you see something, uh, see a problem, you try to solve it, you see the problem again, and then you force yourself to solve it because nothing should be solved manually more than once if it can be automated. At least that's a sentiment that I often see uh, in myself and other developers. So um, that kind of perspective led me to build up accountability regiments around my writing. And now that I've started this, I'm committing to actually turning my writing into a recording, which can be consumed by people who either don't like to read, which is fine, or who don't have the time to read, which is also fine, or just people who like to read and listen to me, which is also great, because I intend to not only talk about the things I've been writing, but also give some additional information about where this information comes from, how it relates to Feedback Panda and my experience, and just whatever's on my mind at the point of reading it and at the point of uh, talking about it. So tune in to the next couple episodes if you're interested in what I have to say. Um, thank you so much for listening to the Bootstrap Founder Podcast. You can find me on Twitter at uh, Arvid Kahl, A-R-V-I-D-K-A-H-L. And you can check out the blog, obviously, at thebootstrapfounder.com. Thank you very much. Uh, have a wonderful day. Bye-bye.